Thanks for listening to this Ave Maria radio podcast. Be sure to share it with your friends and family and across social media. Building the church so we can bless the nations. This is Ave Maria radio. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. I mentioned the chaplaincy at Harvard University. Uh, now they have uh, Greg Epstein, who calls himself a humanist rabbi. He's actually a very outspoken uh, atheist. He's not a foaming at the mouth atheist like Richard Dawkins or uh, the late Christopher Hitchens. Um, he's much more sophisticated than that, and takes. This is one of. This is interesting. Um, you may not be aware of this. I don't know, but. There is a, a brand of atheists. This, this, this came up in the early part of the 2000s. Uh, the new, the so-called new atheist movement began post 9/11, and uh, people like Dawkins, uh, like Hitchens, and uh, there were others. Uh, Daniel Dennett was another. They, I mean, they didn't sit down and plan anything out, but they were atheists who decided to pounce on the destructive nature of Islamic violence. And they generalized from the fact of jihadist violence to violence on all religions. And the more committed you are to your religion, the more likely you are to commit violence. This is, this is not true. I mean, it, 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 it's nonsense. Uh, and if you take a serious study over wars uh, throughout history, and you look at the role that religion plays in them. Uh, religion plays, uh, in many cases, um, a, a tertiary role. Most wars are not over religion. Uh, they're over land. They're over uh, culture. Uh, they're not explicitly fought on grounds of you believe in the Trinity and we don't, so let's kill each other. That That's not how wars uh, come about. Now, we do know during the 16th century, as Europe was going through major changes in boundaries, in uh, political leadership, in fact, there are many people who look at the so-called Reformation not as uh, a theological revolution, but as a political and economic revolution. And uh, in the, at that time, because you had the breakup of medieval Christendom, Various areas of Europe became identified with the brand of Christianity, most popular, uh, most dominant in that region. And so you had the so-called wars of religion. Uh, eventually, that was resolved by the principle of the religion of the uh, prince becomes the religion of the realm, or the religion of the ruler becomes the religion of the realm. And that was the way uh, that got settled. Um, but overall, religion does not prove to be <clears throat> uh, a major force for violence in the world. Now, you do find in Islamic circles, the early uh, spread of Islam was largely through the sword. Uh, there's, no, there's no denying that. It, was, uh, it had an imperialistic agenda and was willing to use the sword to accomplish expansion. Uh, Christianity uh, 
while in fact it sometimes benefited from political rulers who uh, ruled, you know, with the sword, and expanded because of the uh, because kings and queens and princes and princesses, uh, you know, wanted to bring religion with them when they conquered. Uh, you have this mixing of concerns. So t- take somebody like Columbus, for instance. There's absolutely no doubt that Columbus was deeply motivated by uh, apocalyptic concerns. He actually believed that uh, he was at the close of the age, and he was looking to win uh, the Holy Land back. He's In some ways, he's the last great crusader. He was hoping to uh, get lots of gold, for Queen Isabella and King Ferdinand, uh, he wanted to evangelize. And so you have these multiple uh, objectives on the part of somebody like Columbus. Uh, But again, uh, you don't go to war, in the Christian tradition, you don't go to war to convert people. And, you know, in truth, even in Islam, you don't go to war to convert people, you go to war to spread the the legal uh, hegemony of Islam. Remember, Islam is fundamentally a religion of law, and that's why it's, it's the idea is that the whole world will be governed by Islamic law. Uh, Christianity also believes that Jesus will govern uh, the the whole world uh, at the end of time. He, in fact, um, the, the heavenly Jerusalem it comes and unites uh, with the earth, and you know you've got the the uh, reign of Christ, but it's not through the sword. <laughs> it's through the power of conversion. Big, di- big difference there. But we take a look at this thing in Harvard, and, and many people have, younger people especially, have decided they don't want to affiliate with religion, particular religion, so they, you know, they, they're kind of stuck because when most people find that they're hungry for meaning when they want a basis for morals, when they want to find a place of belonging. In the past, that was normally associated with your church uh, or your synagogue. And today, if you're part of uh, those who do not want to affiliate with any religious group, the question is, well, how are they going to meet? those human needs for uh, significance and purpose and the justification of uh, a moral code. And so in, in what has to be one of the most self-defeating moves I've ever seen on the part of Christians and religious people in general, um, the chaplaincy at Harvard decided to bring on board an atheist, Now, as I said yesterday, look, when you get to the point that your chaplaincy has to bring an atheist on board, it's time to end the chaplaincy because, you know, and by the way, I want to say Greg Epstein is one of those newer generation atheists that take religion seriously, but they reject God. So what you have here is you have somebody working alongside a Catholic priest, uh, a Catholic layman, um, a Jewish rabbi, uh, is an evangelical Protestant involved with this, as I understand it. Uh, He's working alongside these particular uh, co-religionists believe that God is the source of meaning, God is the source of morality, 
and that um, human beings have um, a duty to seek God, and that in seeking God, they will find their ultimate fulfillment. The atheist, no matter how nice he might be or how sophisticated he might be, he thinks that quest is ultimately meaningless. There is no God. Uh, so, basically, he's eaten your lunch, uh, Father So-and-so. You're working alongside a guy now who is, his agenda is to uh, lead people away from the God that you think they should be worshiping. Um, that, I noticed here Bishop Barron had a column that showed up uh, in the New York Post. And he said, what bothers me is the complete and abject surrender on the part of the presumably religious leaders at Harvard who chose this man. If a professed atheist counts as a chaplain, which is to say a leader of religious services in a chapel, then religion has quite obviously come to mean nothing at all. <laughs> um, now, he pointed out what I said, too, and that this has been a long time coming. Uh, you mentioned Harvard started as a, a, a school to teach Puritan pastors. Eventually, they became Unitarian, and Yale got started with its divinity school because they were Trinitarian, and they tried to maintain or Protestant orthodoxy. But eventually, uh, you know, Harvard has come to the place now where uh, there is so little, uh, so little confidence that even the, even their motto, Veritas, uh, is being thought to be too, um, the idea of the truth uh, imposes too much on people. And so uh, they're thinking of getting rid of that. They've already gotten rid of Christ and church, which were part of their motto uh, originally. Religion uh, has been an important part of uh, culture, and people uh, have to understand that virtually throughout human history, the source of culture has been religion. Cult, what people worship and hold most dear, those things that are most ultimate, the cult, the, the worship, what you gather around as a community uh, to worship, it's out of the cult that you get culture. And uh, people want to know why democracy has not uh, taken root in a, in a big way in places like Afghanistan, for instance. Well, they had the same problem in Iraq. It's naive to think that human beings will, who have been raised, who have generations, centuries of a certain approach to uh, politics and religion, to think all of a sudden when you offer them a modern Western-style constitution and modern Western-style liberties, that they'll jump and say, what a wonderful thing. Uh, there's a certain arrogance or naivete uh, in that. The U.S. Constitution didn't just spring out of the capable minds of many of our founding fathers, like James Madison, Thomas Jefferson, uh, Benjamin Franklin, George Washington, uh, Alexander Hamilton. The Constitution was an outgrowth of centuries of English common law. 
which was rooted in things like the Magna Carta, was rooted in very many Christian assumptions about the uh, dignity of the human person. Um, Islam doesn't have a teaching about man made in the image and likeness of God who was given responsibility to have dominion on the earth. In other words, the human person uh, within Christianity is to be responsible as a co-regent with God. In Islam, that's considered heretical. And so uh, it doesn't surprise me that Islam has produced virtually no democracies. Uh, some people point to Indonesia, which has a, you know, a style of democracy. But I also like to point out that it's not Arab. And uh, Islam, especially Arabic-style Islam, has not produced uh, a clear democracy. And that, again, is I believe it's because the vision of the human person that Islam has and its direct contradiction to the vision of the human person within the Christian faith. Two different cultures grow out of those two different understandings of the human.